Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you guys checking this one out. It's been uh, fall for this last week, so we got a good bit of rain that had uh, come down for a while here in uh, the northern Oregon area. I was looking on the map, on the um, the like radar map, the weather map, and it was showing like a, a pretty good bit of rain that was hitting, I think, um, like all across the, well, not, not all across the West Coast, but all across the Northwest area, as uh, I think it's all like going up into British Columbia pretty far. But I think for this week, it's supposed to be dry uh, as like uh, we wait for the next uh, system to kind of push through. And uh, it was kind of weird how it kind of kind of changed the, the weather pattern there a little bit. But I think it's been going okay for the fire recovery stuff. Um, still a lot to, to do and a lot going on. And, uh, man, like I'm sure like some of the, some of the state highways that cut across the Cascades are going to be shot for probably most of the winter. I wonder if they're going to recover in that way, you know, um, like just with some of the towns that are just no longer there, they're going to have to take a long time to rebuild, but, but all the fire damage of, um, of trees and stuff, they're going to be down in the road. And then all of the potential damage that's going to come from this uh, winter as we get heavier rains or heavier snowfall on those uh the, the broken trees or the ash and the mud and stuff and i guess there's like a high risk of, of mudslide on years that follow a big fire like this uh so that would be i guess a bigger concern too now that we're talking about some areas that have um, pretty highly populated highway systems that travel through those passes so we'll be uh i'm sure they're going to try and survey it to recover that stuff safely but i don't know if they've had this large a scale of a problem at least in this in the state of oregon as i can ever remember or ever recall i don't recall something like this specifically in in place like, like a place like washington or or california but there must have been other projects that were similar to this in the past that uh, that had been uh, pretty significant problems of um, the burn areas and mountainous regions near populated areas but i think it's really kind of a, a, a unique zone to the northwest so i don't know if we've had that kind of kind of burn before at least like in this kind of modern time when we're as populated and uh, with such developed road systems that go around but i think we're going to see some of those roads close for a while now um but yeah as we're kind of moving into fall getting close to the uh october coming on it's kind of cool that uh yeah, the months are kind of moving by. It seems like fall as you, you kind of walk around and stuff. You know, I started um, kind of poking around a little bit for some chanterelle mushrooms. I think it's probably a good time of year. These next couple of weeks for sure will be in uh, the, the well, I guess like the conditions change for it so quickly that they can come on just within like, well, you know, a couple of days of, uh, of a change in the weather. Uh, now that it's the right time of season, the right uh, temperature. You know, I've seen like a, a ring of other like, I don't know, just garden, or I don't know what they would be like, just, you know, like toadstools, like yard mushrooms popping up in a ring uh, in a few places. It's kind of weird how they just kind of wait to this, the right time of year or whatever the conditions are that, that causes their uh, mycorrhizal relationship to interact the right way. And then they fruit out all these mushrooms and uh, you see these, yeah, rings, uh, little populations of mushrooms around. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, I look out like into a field while I was driving, you see uh, like a patch of mushrooms growing in an area that had already been tilled for the year or something. You think, wow, it's weird how that just comes up there. There's a spot under an apple tree that we've got and that pops up a ring of of, like white toadstool mushrooms every year, it seems like, uh, or like a couple times a year, I think like maybe once in the spring and and now like uh, once in in the fall that I've kind of noticed the last couple of years. So it's kind of interesting how there's these, um, these little patterns like that. But similarly, there's some patterns to the chanterelle mushroom uh, growth too. So I think that 
now that we're in this section of October, and I think probably for the next month or so, we'll probably have uh, pretty fair conditions if it kind of stays wet. Like I think it might be like a little too dry right now, but if uh, if it still was a little bit damp from the, the heavier rains that we got uh, with the last storm, then uh, then there are some forested areas that, that might start populating up some mushrooms. But that's where I'm trying to just kind of go around and start scouting out a couple roads and a couple areas that I want to go back and check out at uh, some other future time. So it's kind of cool. I'm uh, kind of going out to some Forest Service roads and stuff, getting uh, some gear packed up and packing a bag, packing some binoculars so I can kind of scout around and check out some birds and stuff. That's going to be kind of fun. You spot a couple hawks or uh, I think I've seen, well, I think it was like earlier this year that I was seeing like uh, turkeys in there, turkeys running around out in the woods and stuff. It's kind of fun when you, you spot some of that stuff. But it's been uh, been cool heading out into the the coastal range mountains and trying to hunt around for some good chanterelle picking spots. I guess what you're supposed to look for are uh, are like fern growing beneath evergreen trees in sort of a, an open forested floor environment. I think that they don't really grow around deciduous trees that have like a good bit of leaf fall during this time of year. But it's kind of interesting too, you know. There's there's sort of some strange things where there are definitely some places where wow, they just like really grow. Boom, they're just growing there. And even in in circumstances where there are hard conditions or where it's not it's not an optimal con- condition for mushrooms to be growing, you'll find them in those really good spots. You'll be like, wow, well, you know, they're here, but they're really not anywhere else. But I swear, it's weird coming up here. Probably sometime in the next two weeks, there's going to be just the right conditions where. They just seem to pop up everywhere where a lot of the time where they wouldn't have popped up in another location or, you know, at another uh, time and other conditions, they're popping up right now. And it seems to be when it's warmer and wetter out before there's like a a colder snap or a freeze or something. Um, But I remember going out last year and we were just driving on a forest road that we'd been on a a, a number of times before, even during that time of year and never really seen anything. And we, we were picking up chanterelles. Uh, just off the side of the road in the moss uh, or like up against the moss and the fern trees and stuff all over. We picked up like, you know, bags. We like had to almost stop because we were just like, well, I guess we're like kind of out of space and like what are we going to do with these? So uh, so it's kind of cool. Like, yeah, when you can you can really find a bunch of stuff out there. Sometimes though, the conditions are kind of tight and sometimes, especially like maybe a year like this, the uh, the there's a lot of people that go out to try and pick too. So there's kind of some things around that that are a little tricky but yeah i think if you're on public land though you can forage uh for for chanterelles or i think morels uh without a permit but uh you should look that up a little bit i guess there's some rules around like picking and not picking and there's sort of some ways that you can do it and you can't do it um and i guess that there's also like a sale of a permit if you want to use those mushrooms commercially like uh, i think i'd heard before like if you go you pick a couple pounds of mushrooms in a box and then you can, if you have a permit and yeah, like a, a, I don't know, some kind of structured relationship already, you can go to like a, a local restaurant and then sell those chanterelles off at a, you know, a market rate. And I've heard of people doing that before as a uh, part of a job to, to work. It's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, we're kind of coming up into the chanterelle picking season. So that'll be kind of fun. So going around, scouting around some stuff, but, um, 
I was thinking about the fire stuff too, and uh, kind of the, some of the photography stuff. I haven't really seen any uh, any direct damage, or you know, like I haven't been to an area yet that was close enough to see where uh, part of the forest had burned, or where part of uh, the populated areas had burned. Um, so that'll be strange to, I guess, kind of finally see. But what I was looking around at, and I got a notification for was this job, uh, this photo job that's out there, uh, and I've been seeing like a few of these pop up where. I think it's maybe people that don't live in the area. I've seen these jobs before in other other circumstances, uh, you know, like unrelated to a fire or unrelated to damage, but uh, where people from another area need to get a number of photographs of a property or a piece of land or a lot that they own or that they intend to buy. And that's like owned by someone else. So they try and like pay someone, you know, like, hey, like I'm going to, I don't want to drive to say for myself in Oregon, I don't want to drive to, uh, Montana to look at a piece of land yet is, you know, I will when it, get cl- when it gets closer or something, but I want someone else that's in the area to take 45 photographs of it for me and then mail those to me and I'll pay him $300 or something like that. And so I've seen like kind of some gigs like that. And it's probably less than 300 bucks a lot of the time. Shoot. Um, but I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of jobs like that around in the past before uh this time though now after all these forest fires i was looking at this job that was lined up and it's asking for a photographer to go in and photograph a mobile home lot in an area that i'm certain was hit by the fire so i guess my suspicion is that they own a couple lots in the area or they own some property uh that's related to the lots um around there but they don't live there and so they're trying to have a photographer come in and i think photograph uh, I guess what's there, what's left, or what had happened. I guess there's probably a lot of people that are trying to to get some information or um, get some some visual on what had happened in uh, their area, or if their their section is you know no longer uh, in a restricted zone. They're trying to figure out well, like, like, did I have any damage, or you know what what happened over there? What was the smoke damage? What was it like? So I think there's some some property owners that are trying to get some some reconnaissance information about whatever was going on with their their property near and around the the fire that it burned. Uh, so yeah, looking at a couple of those jobs, I don't think I'm going to take that kind of job, but if you're interested in it, uh, go, go, go ahead and, uh, and apply and check it out. I don't know really how that works. I don't think you can get into an area that would still be in a, uh, in a restricted zone or you know, like a burn zone. If you're not like a property owner or if you don't have, uh, it seems like some, some kind of better, uh, specific, I mean, I guess you're a photographer, but it just seems sort of like a, a, a light activity for an emergency zone. Uh, so I think it's probably some areas that are uh, like maybe more on the, the perimeters of that, uh, a little bit outside of the area that would have been damaged or something, you know, but it would it'd be uh, affected by it. So I think there's still like, you know, like the, the level one, level two and level three evacuation zones. Level three was like leave now. Level two was like get, get ready to go right now. And level three was <laughs> get your things together to be prepared to leave. Man. No fun. Uh, so I think it's probably some of the areas that were outside of those uh, immediate evacuation zones. And there's some people trying to get some information that uh, probably just don't have access to it. But yeah, kind of interesting to see those as photography jobs listed now. You know, or just uh, as things come up as, a, you know, like a need arises. Uh, and yeah, photography, real estate jobs exist out there. You know, taking photographs of houses or properties have uh, been around for a while. I've done a bunch of them. And it's kind of weird to kind of see that shift over to just try and photograph what's left of the real estate. Not, uh, not if it's like real estate for sale or a condo to rent. It's just, well, you know, is there anything left of that hillside or is there anything left of my 
apartment or house or housing complex. So man, yeah, it'd be really strange and uh, a lot of a lot of weird, uh, weird kind of activities to go on this year. So I'm uh, hopeful that uh, that those are kind of more under control now, and I, I hope that uh, California is also getting some relief. I think it's been it's been a while now, and I don't think they've got the kind of uh, rain relief that we've had through the later September and uh, and. Well, I guess now we're kind of waiting through a bit of October for it, but uh, but some of the rainfall that we've had this year, I think, has uh, been better here in Oregon than it has been in the parts of Southern California that are probably still having a difficult time fighting off the the fires and stuff. So, man, just really dry conditions and heat and you know late summer heat, man, it's rough. So, not very fun. But as it goes, yeah, uh, I think like a lot of stuff has kind of been affected or kind of moved around because of the fire stuff there's a lot of smoke that's now kind of blown eastward so i think parts of eastern oregon are pretty smoky but better but pretty smoky if you're kind of in line at one of the fire areas it's really pretty good over here like on the the, the west coast western side of the cascades as you're going most of the, uh, the way up and down the i-5 corridor i think when we were doing that we only ran into a couple patches where uh, you go over like a mountain pass and then you're in an area that has sort of hazy skies or a little bit of smoke and they're really kind of near an area that has a fire going on. Uh, so it's kind of weird how there's a couple pockets that uh, that still have a little bit of smoke on the, the, the west side of the Cascades. But I think a lot of that is now pushed a little bit more toward the east. And that, you know, also, I guess, kind of bumps out people on the eastern side of it, too. So it, I was also thinking about like hunting season or about really just a lot of the outdoors people that are uh, going out and trying to do some stuff during the fall for myself it was a lot of photo trips and a lot of like kind of september and october planned uh outing or you know kind of camping and travel trips that i was going to try and do through some public lands over in uh, the deeper parts of eastern oregon that i think are best during this time of year of september and october out there i think it's really cool watching the the aspen trees kind of start to change their color kind of turn into their fiery uh yellows and oranges and reds as they start to change over into the fall and lose their leaves and uh getting to watch some of the animals uh like the antelope and stuff move over and in southeastern oregon it's really cool or probably a bunch of the other stuff that you get to see right now too and uh yeah it gets to be a bit more of a populated i think time of year probably coming up on is it october 1st it's opening day for uh for deer hunting season here in oregon I'm not 100% sure on that, but I do think that it is coming up here like right away. So I think I'm going to try and get a little bit of a trip out before that starts so that I can do some stuff probably bef- before a big wave of, uh, of people come out for a couple of weeks to do some deer hunting stuff. And this year it might be a little bit more busy than other years. Or I, th- I just wonder like what the pressure will be like in some of those areas. So I'm going to be kind of try or I'm going to try to be mindful of what's going on i think uh during the next couple of weeks but really i've never had a problem or a difficulty trying to you know find a spot or find a, a place for the thing that i'm up to while uh while it's been hunting season out there and a lot of those places are still pretty remote like a lot of places i'd go to take photographs are popular or you know they're just not really in the, the same spots fortunately i guess that uh that you're going to get a lot of pressure for deer hunting for the next uh, couple of weeks so that's kind of cool. But I do want to kind of explore around a little bit. I know some of those areas uh, this time of year are, are mostly filled up with people that are that are coming through for tourism related to uh, like a planned hunting trip that they have. So like they're doing like an elk hunting trip up in the central, northern, central, northeastern section of Oregon or over here on western Oregon. Uh, but uh, like I hear like up by, I think it's like Fossil and Mitchell and then 
as you kind of move up further through uh, the Fremont. No, it's not Fremont up there. I don't know what that one is. Now I forget. I don't know, but that for that national forest system, I think it's like the Strawberry Mountains and the Blue Mountains, as you're moving up toward uh, uh, toward like Legrand and Pendleton over there. But I heard like there's some uh, some areas over there. Well, I mean, there's like there's drainages for hunting districts all across Oregon, you know, and you can put in for a tag. I guess any any number of those. Um, but I know like some of the areas down in southeastern Oregon. Uh, like there's a, a string of these like dispersed remote camps that are out there and this time of year uh, they they get filled up a little a little bit faster have uh, you know hunting camps coming through a group of guys coming through and uh, setting up a good rigging of stuff staying there for about 10 days or so if they can or you know it seems like at least five days five or six days and then taking off so it seems like uh, a few of those spots get kind of held up for a little bit longer periods of time this time of year. But I remember, yeah, it's pretty regular that I'd uh, try and go out uh, on camping trips through September and October. And definitely through like parts of October, I remember even like through school and stuff, there would always be like a, about be at least like a, a weekend or you know, like a long weekend trip a year that would be out to somewhere deep in eastern Oregon to kind of check out some stuff. But yeah, really cool area out there, especially if you get the weather on your side. I think if we're getting a like a nice snap of weather uh, this week, if you're able to do it and if you're able to kind of check your forecasts and stuff, then it's a, it's a cool time to get out there while the air is a little bit crisp, but it's uh, still uh, dry enough in some ways that you can kind of enjoy yourself. And uh, it's, it's really beautiful for photographs with the trees. Like I was saying, if you're able to get to an area where you're at an elevation that uh, that aspen trees are growing, you can photograph the the changes and the colors that they have there too. But it's also a pretty interesting area as the weather starts to shift a little bit. If you're able to stay there, for me at least, before the snow starts to fall, which I think is going to be a little bit late this season. I don't think it seems to be like a, an early snow season over there. But I have been over there in like mid-October when it snowed. Um, but if you're over there and it's uh, just cloudy as it is, or just cloudy and like uh, kind of partly rainy, it's it's a desert, so you don't really get rained out as heavy as I seem to be rained out over here uh, on the the west side of the Cascades. So you can kind of get out and just be dry and a little bit cold, and you know, see some interesting cloud cover kind of blow over the, the the desert valleys out there. So it can be kind of an interesting place to to check out at some times, but it can be pretty harsh too when the winds pick up, or especially at night as the temperature drops and the weather changes and you're definitely going to be dealing with freezing temperatures if you're going out there much past uh, much past mid-October. It seems like maybe they're probably getting close to a frost or, or near the freeze there. I think they're, most areas out there are around like 4,500 feet, probably 45 to like 5,500 feet in some, well, it can't be a mile high. Is it a mile high out in plush? I don't know. Probably about 42, 4,500 feet maybe. But there are certainly some areas like I uh, talked about on those last trips where uh, you're going out there and uh, you can you can raise an elevation a few thousand feet and be kind of surprised. You're like, oh, I, I thought I was relatively flat through most of this area, but no, you've been gaining an elevation and yeah, you can get up on top of a rise and be at 6,500 feet. You'd be like, wow, man, wow. So, I don't know, it's interesting. You can kind of move back and forth uh, a little bit on you out there. But yeah, it's cool. I'm excited to get out and do some travel through some Eastern Oregon areas during uh, October here, I'm trying to do some video stuff and some photography stuff. I think I was mentioning that before where, yeah, a lot of the time I'm working on the photography stuff or working on like some film photos or something. And I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of that this fall. And I, I'm really trying to, to focus on some like goals to kind of 
kind of focus what I'm trying to gather while I'm out there. So like, a, you know, I get like a, an amount of something of, you know, whatever, whatever goal I'm trying to put together, but I'm kind of trying to focus on that a little bit more instead of just kind of haphazard, haphazardly going out and then seeing something interesting and maybe taking a photograph of it. So, uh, so that's been kind of, kind of interesting to do. And I'm trying to do that a little bit with the photographs for a lot of the summer, but I'm also trying to get a collection of, uh, better, uh, longer, video clips that are recorded in sort of a, a you know a professional way or you know like i want to try and like set it up on a tripod or set it up in a way where it's a it's kind of an easy and steady shot for a longer period of time and what i hope to do with that is uh, through like a number of the trips as i kind of move across oregon is to gather enough uh sets of clips of different uh, like landmark locations that i'm later able to you know use those videos to put together uh, different pieces and different pieces in association with the photographs, but uh, just to kind of show visually and through video some of the areas uh, too. So video is not really like what uh, what I, I really like putting together, what I especially like uh, editing on, and I like kind of some of the, the more specific controls you have over the the outcome and the way that a moment looks um, in the way that you use photography instead of sort of the longer format system of video that shows you know a lot of changes to just a single aspect of something over a period of time so i think it'd be cool though to um to go out and try and get a bunch of landscape video clips that are long enough to kind of use in sort of a docu- documentary fashion for some future projects coming up so it's kind of fun but uh, and it's also something i haven't really done as much before so it kind of also reopens a lot of spots that i've uh, maybe grown tired of going to in the past you know where i live i've gone to a spot Say like, I don't know Fort Rock or something like that. I've been there a number of times. Really cool spot. Really interesting if you haven't been there. Or if you want to walk around or something, uh, but if you go to take photographs of it, it's really cool. And I could probably take a lot more photographs of a place like that, to be honest. But um, but as it goes, though, if you think just well, just you know, a regular photo framed picture, I'm getting kind of tired of that. I have a few of those, and uh, I don't really uh, have a draw to go back there to photograph it. But if I'm doing like a video project, well, I haven't done that before, so. It kind of gives me a little bit of inspiration to, to go there and to, to do that with it. Or I think like what it was a couple of years ago when we were working with a, a GoPro 360 camera. Uh, it was interesting because it was like, well, all these places that I'd gone to before, even like Crater Lake, which really I have, I have not that much interest in. It was like, oh, well, like I should go to Crater Lake. I should make it to that destination because I have this tool with me that I normally don't have or have this uh, this thing that I normally don't do, like making 360 video in that case or now in, in this case of, you know, just going around and trying to make uh, like a steady set of like documentary video clips. It's like, well, I haven't done that before. So it kind of opens up like every location in the past that I had gone to and said, so, ah, I've just kind of checked that off the list. I don't need to go to that waterfall again. I've kind of been there and I've got some cool photos of it. So I'll just go to the next place and uh, kind of head on. And so this kind of opens it up a little bit of, well, I'm familiar with these places. I can kind of go through and produce these clips out in a way that's, uh, you know, going to work for me or something. So it's kind of cool. I'm going through and uh, trying to capture some longer clips and stuff. But man, a video takes a lot longer to do. You know, you kind of, you have to like do a few things. You have to really pull over and really steady it and shut everything off, wait for the sounds to be right. You know, if you're in an area where it doesn't, doesn't work right, like if you're near a road and there's cars or something going by. Or whatever it is, you just have to make these mitigations to try and make it where you don't have to like get off the road or go further away or set up a better shot or whatever it is. You have to kind of like push a little harder. And then to capture it, sort of similar to like long exposure photography, you just have to like sit there 
and wait for a while. You had to wait for the time to elapse for you to capture a minute of footage or four minutes of footage of these, you know, like cattle moving across a field or something like that. So uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, the stuff that you see and the stuff that you capture, but uh, it also takes like a lot more work to kind of put together those video pieces. But I'm looking forward to it. I want to try and put together some time-lapse work, uh, some sky video, like some sunset stuff. There's some clouds kind of moving around. I think that's going to be really interesting. Or especially like with some of the dynamic uh, kind of dramatic cloud textures that you get over in eastern Oregon during the September and October times of year. Uh, I think it'll be kind of cool to try and photograph uh, some of those quickly kind of moving lower cumulus clouds as they sort of kind of swirl and churn and move past uh, on the sky. So uh, going to try and set up some some longer, maybe like an hour video or something like that, and then set up a time lapse from that to kind of speed the video up and then make it uh, something where you can kind of see the changes. But I'm trying to put together some of those visual elements. Pr- pretty much it's just like kind of a, a fun activity side project thing but i'm trying to put some of these like visual video elements together so that i have a collection of those kinds of pieces too like uh, you know i could have a still photograph of a beautiful sunset say or i could have a maybe like an interesting time lapse that sort of shows it roll through the colors and roll through the cloud formations that it makes and i'd like to kind of make a couple of those to go in tandem with some of the other pieces of work that i've been uh, trying to put together so it kind of kind of goes carries on and stuff but it's uh, some of the stuff I've been up to. I also got uh, some mini DV tapes back. I think I talked about a couple podcasts back how I'd sent them off to be converted. And I had a pair of them. I think I had two hours of footage converted from mini DV tape to MP4. And I got a thumb drive mailed back to me and plugged it into the computer, threw on the videos. I think they're about 1.5 gigabytes an hour for an MP4 of <laughs> of standard standard def uh, 2005 video from some mini DV camera. Uh, and there's a few good ones I got to work with, but uh, I think a lot of the footage is kind of interesting. It's, it's interesting to see. I think, I'd, like I mentioned, maybe I'd recorded over a number of the tapes that I'd used frequently. So I'd record a project or record a couple clips of video, none of it very proficient. And then I'd capture that over to a computer and edit it. And then I'd black out the tape and then record the next project over it. Um, so there's only like some sections of video that probably still remain. And I bet there's probably a lot of cool pieces that I wish I had uh, been able to keep. I think some of the good stuff I do still have. So that's cool. And from what I found already, it's also pretty cool just to, to see what was there. But, uh, but yeah, like some few, uh, like uh, I think it was like a men's high school basketball game. I think it was... A, I think there was a soccer game recorded. I think there was like a, a girls basketball game recorded. I think there was an assembly recorded, like a bunch of like high school footage that I had recorded or that uh, like other people had recorded with me uh, during probably 2005, 2006. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so kind of seeing some of that footage and some of it we'd used for little projects and stuff we were working on, but it's cool to see the raw footage again and that's kind of fun about being able to pull up those tapes, take them into a place, have them converted, and then get get to check out the uh, the types of footage that was on it. But yeah, you get to see some cool stuff. I think it was, like I mentioned maybe before, I'd, I'd uh, converted some stuff and I think it was like some somebody's wedding that I converted. You know, I don't have much attachment to it, but I'm sure those people do, you know, and uh, uh, they have the video of whatever it was, but it's cool that this raw video exists. So maybe I'll, I'll reach out to him or something. I reached out to another friend and said, hey, check out this, uh, check out this video. You know, it's like an hour of stuff back from high school that we thought was probably just gone, you know, so 
probably I think for most people it is, and I think you know, most people don't really have like the uh, the archivist mentality or the 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 media mentality that that I always do. But it's really fun to have a photo album or have a clip or a set of clips and videos and stuff from when you were younger and now, especially that we're uh, we're older. I think some of the some of the benefit of kind of keeping keeping a hold of some of those things as they come up, it's kind of cool. You know, you get to like pull up this thing and say, oh, wow, yeah, that was like 15 years ago. No way. That's what it seems like when 15 years pass and you get to see like video yourself or video of someplace that you were at. It's cool. So I'm happy to uh, to be going through and clipping up some of those uh, pieces of video. Pretty fun. And yeah, I don't know, kind of carrying on and stuff, trying to get a few more of them converted. I think I have like a little box. So I probably have maybe somewhere less than eight of these tapes left and then i think i have a number of tapes that i'm going to try and collect from my my family too i think they have a, a few like uh you know like i don't know whatever probably the earlier stuff of uh like holidays and uh family events and whatever that stuff was and all the tapes that i have are just from when i started you know back in like the the 2000 probably th- four might be the earliest for photo stuff maybe like 2002 2003 but as video clips go, it's probably 2004, 2005 that I was really able to get access to some video stuff, at least that, uh, you know, that like I was focused on or was using kind of on my own. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool to have those have those tapes around, get them converted, uh, get to check out some old uh, footage on it. It's a little bit expensive. I think it was 25 bucks for the two hours of footage that I got. Um, so it's fine and it's cool because it's it's good footage or it's cool to like have these memories and stuff but it's also weird too if you spend 25 bucks and you just get a blacked out tape you know imagine if it was just a blank tape and you're like oh oh well cool shoot so it's been cool yeah kind of pulling up these old pieces and uh, seeing some stuff especially yeah if it's like your old uh, like home videos or home movies or your wedding or something like that man all of those things those are really cool memories to have and the nostalgia of kind of being able to keep those is, um, is so important. And now that it's so easy to, to digitize them, we're in a period of time right now. It's easy to digitize them and easy to duplicate that, that piece of data out so you can archive it in different locations, like a bigger thumb drive. You can put a bunch of media or you can kind of diversify that and make four thumb drives and keep them in different places or with different people or you can share them with different people if there's sets of videos that you want to get out of uh, just being siloed. Uh, with you which is sort of where i'm at too you know like i recorded a lot of video i recorded a lot of photos and i don't really have to be the the yearbook creator for everyone i've ever met but uh, i was also thinking well it'd be cool you know if uh, to kind of get a hold of a couple of people and say hey I, you know i have this uh, this video it's just been archived in a box of you know, mini dv tapes for the last 15 years i got a copy of it there's some footage of you for some project. Here's a set of that, or here's some photos from something that happened back in college or whatever it is, you know, some, some project or event that we worked at. Um, so all those kind of things are cool to get a hold of. And I know I have them and I know they, they might've had them at a time, but maybe lost interest or don't have them anymore. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to come up on that stuff and then be able to set it out and, uh, get to look at that stuff again. It's cool looking at back into the past a little bit with, uh, some old video or some old photographs. So, it's been kind of fun, but, uh, but yeah, working on that, working on some video conversions some uh, some photo stuff, trying to do some fun writing. I'm trying to rough draft a bunch of stuff. I use a voice to text a lot. I use voice to text to like get a bunch of paragraphs out. And then I use Grammarly and another site called Hemingway to kind of help me do some editing of that. But then I also go back through and then I try and like write in a bunch of stuff on top of that. And that really seems to like I don't know, kind of helps with speed a lot is really the thing that makes a big difference is uh, the speed that I'm able to put out 
300 words or 200 words or something to, and then kind of restructure that a little bit. So it's a lot better than I was able to do in the past, that's for sure. Uh, so it's kind of fun, yeah, voice to text just on an iPhone or you can do it even when I'm out camping and stuff. Uh, you can you can use it in airplane mode and uh, I think you have a database of words within the phone that you're able to do voice to text with. It's, it's a pretty comprehensive English library. Um, which is cool. It's really fantastic that you're able to do those kinds of techniques. But, uh, but yeah, I think I was out camping. I was able to put down a lot of work, you know, just by voice to text into my phone. Like I always have it into the notes app. And then I have, um, I have, you know, like 10 documents ready to go that have uh, 300 word, uh, little essays or little rough draft sections set up so they can go through, throw those into an editor, correct the weird mistakes or like some of them, you probably read it. But uh, correct some weird voice-to-text mistakes, correct some grammar stuff, and then go back through and try and uh, try and edit a couple ideas and, and make it. You know, it's weird too, right? Uh, like, God, like if you just listen to that last sentence, uh, the structure of things that you say, or at least the things that I say, seem to be a lot looser than the structure of things that you write. So when you you do like a voice-to-text thing, you, you tell a story, you, you you make some comment, but you really I think have to go back through and. Uh, sort of rearrange it a little bit to make it uh, clearer writing. Uh, at least I do. I think that's a benefit of people who write a lot is they get uh, a better uh, paragraphic sense of the things that uh, that of the points that they need to make and the communication that they have. So, uh, thanks a lot for putting up with me rambling about fires and photos and camping and mini DV tape conversions. So it's a good time. But uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can always do more to uh, see some of my work by checking out billynewmanphoto.com. Did I say that? I think I said, yeah. Yeah, go to billynewmanphoto.com. That's a, that's a site to check out. I, mean, that's, that's I figure you guys remember. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next week. Bye.